This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If this is the first time you've ever listened to this podcast, I hope you will come back. We do this show twice a week. I've interviewed entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, people inside companies who just have an entrepreneurial spirit. The purpose of the show is really to give you ideas, uh, little nuggets of information about entrepreneurship and the cool things that entrepreneurs are doing. I am really excited about today's show. When I started this podcast, now almost four years ago, and almost 400 episodes, when I started it, one of the people I wanted on the show was my friend John Garrett. And he is the founder and the head of Community Impact News. And this is a company, if you don't know about it, watch out. They're eventually coming to your town. And uh, if you're in the newspaper business, they're going to bowl over everybody you've ever seen. So 13 years ago, I had lunch with John. He used to be the editor, I'm sorry, the sales uh, head of sales for the Austin Business Journal. And he, told, he confided in me and said he was going to leave and start his own newspaper. I thought it was great. I knew he was going to do fantastic. But a lot of people told him, Really, in 2005, newspapers are starting to die. He has a whole, you have this whole unproven model. There's no way. There were so many naysayers. And I love it when people are told, you're not going to succeed, only to have them become one of the fastest growing companies around. And that's what Community Impact is. So, John Garrett, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom. You're so awesome. <laughs> I remember that lunch well. And uh, I really appreciate all your support over the, over the years. And it's an honor and a privilege to be on this podcast with you. So tell the audience, what is Community Impact? Tell us about the business model, about how you got started. Tell us about, about who you are and what you do so well. Well, thanks. We're, we're a newspaper company and uh, we're, we've kind of changed the model a little bit. We've, uh, we don't uh, write about Johnny kicking the winning field goal. We focus on really five core areas uh, surrounded uh, city business, local business, uh, economic development, transportation, healthcare, and we really focus on quality journalism. So uh, I like to tell people if the Wall Street Journal um, opened up a Your Town edition, uh, that's the kind of way we want to approach it. But we've we've added on an element of free distribution. So we mail to everybody. We don't, we, uh, we, we don't throw it on your yard. We actually mail it to you. Uh, and we've added a huge component of design learning. Um, we use infographics in a way that, that no one has ever used before to tell stories that matter to you at, your, uh, at the community level. It's beautiful design that kind of explains, uh, ex- you know, explains kind of difficult um, issues. And, and we do it in a way that it doesn't matter if you're a liberal or conservative or in between or don't know what you want to be. Uh, you like the paper. And, um, and we're really uh, fortunate to be so well received in, in the homes uh, that we serve. We're, we're up to, uh, with our new out-of-state launch in Phoenix, it's starting 
in um, the fall. We'll be at two million uh, total distribution. Uh, so we're really excited about that. So it, it sort of it took up this hyper local because it's not just one paper for Austin and Houston and Dallas. There's, I mean, sort of by neighborhoods, right? You've carved the, each of the cities up into smaller hyper local uh, areas. So, so let's talk about Austin, where you got started. How many areas are there? How many different editions are there? And then, and then, how did you grow the paper? Yeah, that's right. We we have uh, nine in the Austin metro area. We 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 still have New Braunfels considered in, in Austin, but it's really more of a San Antonio metro. Uh, but that's exactly right. So in this, the core of Austin, we actually have three editions. We have a Northwest Austin, a Central Austin edition, and a Southwest Austin edition. Yahoo! Yay, Southwest Austin oh, edition. Cool. Yeah. And then, of course, we have, you know, uh, Buda, Cal, uh, San Marcos. We've got Round Rock. We've got Cedar Park, Leander, Pflugerville. Um, we have uh, Georgetown. So we cover all these individual areas, and we do it really well so that each team, uh, paper has their own team, we call them kind of, we're kind of a store model. And so each store, we have 23 of them right now, 26 this fall, uh, has their own PL, their own team. So Southwest Austin residents get their own editor and their own reporter and their own designer and their own team that focuses on what we, uh, you know, what's important to the residents there. You guys don't care about what's happening in Round Rock usually. And um, so we, we, we let y'all uh, just learn about what's important to you. So what I like is it's not really like a subscription model. I didn't sign up for it. I just own a house and it just yeah. comes in the mail. And so that was one of the things everybody said, oh, you know, you can't do that. You can't just mail a full paper to everybody. And yet everyone I know reads it. Yep. Thanks. Yeah, we, we definitely um, took a chance on that one. Uh, our first issue we did in Round Rock, Pflugerville, uh, we mailed 60,000 copies out. To, Tom, you're right. Like no one believed that we were going to do that. And uh, we did. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that it's got to be quality journalism. I mean, it's otherwise it's just junk mail. And, you know, to your point, everybody reads the paper like it's the most bizarre uh, thing that I've uh, ever been a part of. And I'm very thankful and humbled by it. But people really like it. And I think it's because it's quality, it's relevant and it's useful uh, to, to our readers. And that's what matters in today's age. And to be honest with you, having it come, how often does it come out? Is it once a month? monthly that, so, that is also a big difference right yeah it doesn't come too often and then the other things it comes just the right amount of time that it helps me light the coals on my barbecue so after i've read it it's the perfect kindling to and get my barbecue like fantastic started. paper it is you know it's high bright 35 pound uh so yeah it's cats love it you know we have the smartest cats in in uh where we're where we're, we're community impact newspapers use as litter boxes the cats have statistically been proven to be way smarter than elsewhere well you know i mean all joking aside though i mean you're obviously a uh, advertising driven business and everybody is running like wild away from print advertising but the people who are in your paper are there month after month after month so it's clearly working for them yeah we we have uh Definitely. We feel like we're more of a disrupt disruption than just like a, uh, just saying, Hey, you know, print is dead or whatever. We, we definitely say that all the time. Print ain't dead. That's one of our phrases that we use, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're advertising on billboards or Facebook or uh, TV or radio or podcasts, right? What you care about is readers and listeners. And we have demonstrated that it, we can, we can get the, uh, the, the reader, and if you get the reader, then the advertisers, that's what they care about. They don't care that it's print. You know, They want people looking at their ads and responding to their ads. And we've demonstrated that over and over again for the last 13 years uh, that we bring a tremendous amount of value to uh, our advertisers. 
So I remember that lunch where you, you told me you were going to go and start this paper. And I've always been a big fan of people kind of doing entrepreneurial ventures. I mean, it's, it's a lot of my friends are entrepreneurs. I, I got really excited 13 years ago when you said you were going to start this. But, you know, what really led you to become an entrepreneur? Because, I mean, you had a great job with a big, giant national newspaper company. You'd been in advertising sales. I think maybe you'd been out of Houston before that, if my mind reminds me correctly. What led you to say, I'm going to go start my own business? Yeah, well, I, I feel like you, a lot of your listeners are going to know that, you know, you just have that, you just know it. Like I, I always, my goal was when I turned 30 that I would own my own business. And my wife, Jennifer, is very, uh, 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 very gracious. I would come up with all these ideas. Like I wanted to start a, you know, a dry cleaning company or a, um, a uh, there were a couple of other, a golf shop and, you know, all these ideas that I had. And she's like, ah, I just don't think that's going to work for you. And, uh, but finally, I kind of working at the Business Journal, having the Houston Chronicle background that you mentioned, you know, I, um, I knew this business and I knew something was missing in our business. And so I kind of just sketched out what the first paper would look like and um, built a business plan. And, you know, uh, it, I did have a great job, but there were some things that happened there that made me feel pretty comfortable that I was making the right choice to, to, uh, to move on. And, um, you know, God, God was really good to me, and we, we just did it from the game room of our house. So what do you love now that you've been doing it for 13 years? What do you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? Well, uh, I, you know what? I love how I have to keep growing. Uh, this year has been – I feel like I've learned so much this year about, about – you know, we're up to now um, – we're passing the 200-employee mark, and I know I'm not who I need to be as a CEO today to be the CEO of our company for the future. And so I, I love that um, as an entrepreneur that wants to grow your business, that you have to grow with it. And uh, it keeps me um, grounded. It keeps me humble. And, um, and it gives me something to look back on that I'm proud of to, to be able to say like, oh, wow, like, you know, I, I cannot operate my business like this anymore. Um, so to me, that's been my favorite uh, part of being an entrepreneur is just, you know, personal growth and seeing, you know, who I'm becoming. So are there any downside? Are there any days where you think I could have stayed with the business journal and not had this headache? <laughs> I don't know about stay with the business journal, but uh, <laughs> because you know, every job's got headaches. Um, but, you know, uh, yes, there are times where you're like, you know, is this, is this worth it? And then, and then you, you, you see the quality of work your people do. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've been learning recently is it was always hard for me, like when employees left the company and especially when I like thought that they were making a decision that was not good because it hurt me personally. Um, but what I've learned, um, recently is I'll see them like post photos of them with other friends that used to work at the company and it's just such an honor to, to know that the risks that Jennifer and I took to start this business have created lifelong friendships. And, um, and they may not give us credit for that. That's okay. Cause you know, that, but you know what, to be a part of that is, I think it's, I think it's pretty special. 
Sure, absolutely. Well, so you mentioned that you're up to 200 employees. I think that's exciting when a company goes from just a couple people, you know, trying to put out a paper to now you have a legitimate, you know, couple hundred, couple hundred employees. But what are the challenges that come with that? When you grow a business, a lot of, you know, I'm a solo opener. I've worked for myself now for nine years, but I have a lot of friends who have, you know, responsibility of a hundred or a thousand or more. What, what are some of the, the good and bad that comes with growing a company to that size? Well, I mean, obviously the good is you get to meet so many amazing people. Like I was just talking to our creative director that's been with us for nine, uh, actually, I think 10 years now. Uh, he started as a graphic designer. Now he's, he runs our creative shop. And uh, talking to him about like how we kind of progress as a, com- as a company is really rewarding. I mean, we, we're not just a newspaper company. We, we have built a printing plant. We've, got, we've built so many processes and quality controls and systems and targeting advertising systems that are really remarkable that the average person wouldn't know um, that we've built. So part of the reward of building a company and growing it is that you get to build something. I think we were all you know, created to build something. I think that, that that's, that's fun uh, to do. Uh, obviously, the downsides of it are it's, it's stressful. There's, there's many times that you, um, you, know, you, don't, you can't share your fears or your thoughts with just everybody. Luckily, I have a, a spouse that we work um, together and um, and it's really a special relationship. And uh, luckily that uh, I'm able to talk to her, obviously, about anything. Uh, but being an entrepreneur in a growing company, you know, there's a lot of weight uh, on your shoulders and, and, and learning how to balance that and, um, and keep everything in the right perspective is, is, a, is a real challenge. But uh, yeah, we, we think about things as, as you do as well. I mean, I know you've had your struggles to try to get the business where you want it to go. You think about your family and taking care of your kids and um, the, the way is similar and uh, it, it's really not multiplied. It really is very similar. It just becomes like different um, in, in how uh, so you, you might have more of them as your company grows. But you, uh, solopreneurs feel the same kind of uh, stress and worry that, that you know, big companies feel as well. So, but what I what I understand on the street is that you have a really good culture in in your company, and I know that in the fall you're having sort of a big like company meeting, bringing everybody together. I know that because you wanted me to be the keynote speaker. However, I was already speaking for somebody else the same day. I couldn't believe it. But but how do you build culture when you as a company goes from small to to now somewhat large? Yeah, I think uh, our HR director said it really well. She says really culture comes from from uh, Jennifer and I. Like we've set the standard for our values and our mission and our purpose. And we set the culture. So, you know, I always say that if there's things that are really good about our company uh, culture, it's because we did a good job of, of, of casting the vision and making sure that our people have the resources to pull that off. Right. But also the negative side is that there's things that need to be improved, which there always are in our company. That's also on us. And like, so what are we doing as a leadership team that's getting in the way of, are people having the resources or things that they need to create a great culture? But, you know, um, we, we just, for me, the, it's a simple thing of birds of a feather flock together. And we are just loaded with talent, talented, passionate people who care about the, each of our additions that we send out more than even I could possibly. And that, um, that's why we're, we're, we're still able to, to grow and have a good culture, I think. So what advice do you have for somebody who, you know, has that, that feeling inside them, like you said, that they want to start their own business and they're always talking to their spouse about the dry cleaner or the car wash or whatever. And, you know, they finally have decided that they've got an idea that something they know 
and they want to do it, what advice would you give them? Well, I think there's a test. A guy, Andy Stanley, an author, wrote a book called Visioneering. And the thing I got out of that book was that he, he, he talked about like the difference between what should be and what has to be, right? And, and, and I think, first of all, the test is, does it have to be, right? Like, do you have, like, if you don't start this, co- this company, is it going to, like, just kill you? Like, is, does it have to be? Like, you got to do it. I think that's a good uh, starting point to start with. You know, in terms of uh, the advice of getting going, um, you know, talk to a lot of people, but don't let them tell you no. Like, don't, don't let them tell you don't do it. Um, go to key people that, uh, that you trust. Uh, um, one thing that was very helpful to me too, as a friend told me to tell a story as opposed to just saying like, you got this idea. Like, I think we need to do, like I was telling people, we need to start this community paper because like no one knows what's happening in their own backyard. That's what I would say. Well, my friend told me, it was like, well, tell a story. Like, uh, you know, and so the story was, is that, you know, in Round Rock, it was really growing and, and newspapers uh, are expensive. Like, how do you really know what's happening? Like Ikea was building out there and, so imagine that there was a single mom who lived in an apartment who can't afford, you know, a subscription to the paper. How is she going to know how to go apply for a job at Ikea? How is she going to find out about these jobs? You know, don't you think that she deserves to know? Like, so, so kind of start creating these stories that help you explain why you're so passionate about why your idea has to be. And that'll help a lot. Cause I remember like having, trying to tell people about this vision and, I had a hard time explaining it to them. And so I started like telling these stories about how, you know, these local businesses were getting swallowed by Walmart. Uh, you know, having the actual stories to tell, I think would be helpful. Well, and I remember when you and I went to lunch and you told me about it. I also remember how many people both to your face and behind your back said, ha, 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 he's never going to make it. And so when you said, you know, don't listen to the naysayers, you're like my, you're my poster child for, people who don't listen to the naysayers and then create this multi-million dollar empire. Yeah, it was hard. I, one, of the, one of the most successful people in the area that I live, uh, entrepreneurs told me I was crazy. And so like I, I went to meet with them because I thought, I thought, wow, man, I could really learn and I could be inspired. And I left there thinking, man, am I crazy? Um, so yeah, you, you just uh, don't, don't take that as, as gold and, um, you know, keep it in perspective um, and work hard. And like, that's why if, if it has to be, then you'll just, you'll force it, you know? And that's why that's the test. Like, does it have to be? So, you know, I've been around a lot of entrepreneurs, as have you. And when someone starts a business, you know, they, they, they're, they're full of potential. You know, I spend a lot of time researching and talking to people about this, this whole concept between, behind potential. I call it the paradox of potential because we get really excited about, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm starting this new business. There's so much potential. But potential doesn't equal results. There's a, there's a clear gap between the potential that most people have and, and the results they get. What do you think is that delta? What's the, what's the reason that some entrepreneurs succeed and others don't? You know, I think that there's a variety of factors in that. Um, I think that, the, uh, you know, if they're, if they're working really hard and they're not uh, re- reaching their potential, you know, obviously that would be the easiest one to look at. But sometimes they do. They're, they're working really hard and they don't fully reach the potential of the business. I think they need to ask themselves about uh, what uh, strengths, uh, who are they from a strength standpoint and what are they missing around them? Like, you know, I am, I'm great at casting vision and coming up with product ideas and selling and, you know, having a good uh, 
you know, idea of who we want to be. But you know what? Operationally, like I drive my people crazy. Like I, if I was involved, if I am involved in any of the weed things, like I, we, nothing gets done and we don't, we will, we always stay on the weeds. So if you can, if you feel like you're spinning in the, in the mud a little bit, ask yourself, like, what am I doing right now that I think I'm good at that I'm actually not good at? And can you, do you have friends that would kind of, or employees that would kind of speak into that? And if you're, if you're, you know, if you're still on your own and you're not quite uh, getting uh, where you think you need to go, you know, I, I think that you having, now, if you're not able to pay the bills and you might need to, you need to take care of your, but if you are able to pay the bills, but you don't feel like you're quite have reached your potential, that's fine. That's fine. Like be okay with the fact that you are going to year over year, hopefully grow. And Tom, I've, I've admired that about you. I feel like you've done that. You know, um, you've talked to me over the years about how you wanted to grow the business. And, and I've seen you post, you know, some of your success stories of last year and I can't even get you to come to my conference. Right. So, you know, you probably had that, that, that same fear and, um, but it's okay. Like we haven't, I feel like we haven't even come close to reaching our potential. We're, we're, ju- we're just getting started. I, I feel like, you know, the John Maxwell law, the lid thing, I feel like I'm not even close, you know, to what my lid is. And I don't know if I want to hit my lid, right? Like, well, what, one of the things I teach people, one of the things that I teach is that, you know, if you do this right, as you go farther across that gap between potential and results, you're going to listen to a new podcast and get expi- inspired. You're going to uh, meet someone new. You're going to take a new class. You're going to get a new certification. You're going to hire a new employee and your potential is going to shift. And that's why I tell people you can't build a bridge. There's no shortcut across the gap. The, the only way you can do it is you have to build a scaffolding because that's modular. And when your potential shifts, you can add on another section and you just sort of shimmy your way across. Uh, everybody, I think, is looking for a shortcut. And I don't think that does does any justice to anybody. Yeah, that's I, I think that's spot on. I love that. So, John, I've got a couple more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like John Garrett of Community Impact. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So John, I call the show cool things entrepreneurs do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Man, we, the coolest thing has to be the expansion out of state. We call it our bigger than Texas, you know, here in Texas, we, everything's bigger in Texas. We said that our mission is bigger than Texas. And so we decided that we were going to take it to Phoenix and, uh, we're starting a town called Gilbert, which is a fantastic location and I think is a great community that's growing, that there's a lot of questions about their infrastructure and who they are and where they're going as a city. There's a lot of new people that have moved there. In fact, we moved one of our best people in a company over there to start the paper and we moved her family and uh, you know, uh, it's just very humbling as a, as an owner to do that, to send a family out, out of the state. Uh, but we're excited about it. And, uh, it is, it is really, listen, when, when you tell people you're starting a newspaper in 2018, that you might as well be telling them that you are opening up a typewriter shop. You know, <laughs> I, lo- I love that we get to tell people that and we're excited about our future. So 
it's just really cool to start start new papers, especially, frankly, in our industry. It's just a really important time for news uh, companies to grow, and uh, it's more important than ever. So uh, it's 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 definitely my coolest thing. So I got to tell you, like I said early on, I you know I love I love entrepreneurship. I love disruptors. I love people who, when everybody says, "Oh, that's dead." You always see someone who is succeeding. Do you have copycats now in other parts of the country? Yeah, yeah. There's people that um, that have tried to copy what we do. Here's the deal, though. I read I read a Truett Cathy's book, uh, and he said he was always worried about people copying. He was like, "How hard is it to make a chicken sandwich?" Right, <laughs> and but sure enough, it's really hard to copy Chick Fil A and. You know what? Like when I see the copycats, I see them. Uh, they've come and gone. Um, I see usually right away, like how they're not like us. And you know, that's a, there's you know there's companies that you know I don't know who is first Lyft or Uber, but there's always somebody that's going to try to if you're successful, try to copy you. And uh, I'm confident in the 13 years of learning through mistakes and building systems and processes. I'm confident in what we're doing. And if somebody's able to copy us and do good for their community and serve their community, then great, you know? Um, but you know, this, the country is big and, and, uh, if we're welcomed into places like Gilbert, uh, we'll keep growing. So you bring up an interesting thing and that is you've learned a lot from your mistakes. How important do you think it is for entrepreneurs to be okay with taking risks and, and failing? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's a maturing process for sure. It's, uh, you know, we teach our kids that, right? Like, you know, everything from the beginning, of, you know, touch the, the hot stove, get burnt, that kind of thing. Like, we know that that's true in life, and that's just the way this world works. But we sometimes don't want to admit failure as a as a as a leader. I don't know if it's pride or um, or we just get tired of getting burnt, right, by the pot. I, but listen, it's the most important thing. Um, you know, we've we've started uh, twenty five papers, so we've had two papers that didn't make it. And I cannot tell you how much we've learned from that. And um, so failure is everybody fails. And um, I, I just, I'm just, I've learned to embrace it and see what we can uh, learn from it and move on. I don't want failure. Like, don't get me wrong. But, uh, but when it comes, I recognize that it's an opportunity to grow. Well, and I, I was trying to look up on my phone the exact quote, so I'm just going to mess it up. I think it's Richard Branson who said that, you know, Children don't learn, you know, from being told what to do. They learn to walk through that. They, they learn to walk by falling down and getting back up. And I think so often in corporate America, we're not allowing our people to take any risks. And that's in this whole paradox of potential research that I'm doing. I've interviewed over 400 people, plus everybody I've interviewed on this show. You know, this whole idea of what's holding you back. One of the biggest things that come up, and I've done a couple of videos on this, is fear of failure. And yet, when you look at the people who've succeeded, when you look at who the Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalists back, it's people who in many times have colossal failures. So I don't understand why we're so scared of failing. You, you learn to walk that way. Uh, serial entrepreneurs get funded that way. And community impact has grown that way. That's right. Fear is, uh, you know, fear, the fear that you have in your, in your gut or your, it, can either, it can either shut you down or you can use it as positive energy uh, to make sure that you're, it's fuel. And, um, you know, we always tell our salespeople that like when they walk into a business owner, they, sometimes you have butterflies and, 
you're nervous or whatever. Well, that's the fight or flight, you know, built hard, you know, hardwired into our bodies. And we can either, you know, go back into our car and be scared, or we can use it as actual energy uh, to help us move forward. So when you're feeling fearful, just know that your body is like saying, hey, am I fighting or am I flighting, right? And you can fight. You can, and it's amazing that that feeling can actually be fuel for you to move forward. So that, you know, it's a positive thing. It is. We, but, you know, we sometimes use it because we're scared and we flight. You know? Well, so I, I, I have a couple of gentlemen who I talk about a lot who I mentor, and they're, you know, they're kind of like my, my extra kids. Uh, they're both 28, 29 years old. Uh, they're just trying to find their career path. They're not speakers. They're not in my industry, but we've become very close over the last five years. And one of them, I was doing a, a program on mentorship, and I was preparing for it. I was doing some videos and putting them out on, on LinkedIn, and he left a comment on one of them, and he said, I, I talked about what you can expect from a mentor if you have a mentor. And one of the things he said that I left out of the article or the video that I did was he said that I left out this part that the reason what, he, what I do for him is I talk him off the ledge when he's scared. When there's a change at work or maybe making a change or asking for a raise or, you know, even I, I get involved sometimes with his personal life. When there's something going on that scares him. I'm there to take him off the talk him off that ledge. So how important do you think mentorship is to success for an entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I had some incredible people when I started. Uh, you may know David Stein. Uh, he owns the, the Volvo dealership in Austin. Uh, when I talked uh, with him uh, when I first started, he, he gave me so much great advice. And I'll never forget, like, the, it was the craziest thing that ever happened to me. So one of the advice, piece of advice that he gave me is like, make sure I have really good insurance and, you know, lawyers and accounting firms or whatever. And there was a piece of insurance I didn't buy. It was uh, libel insurance. And because it was $3,000. And I was like, man, that's expensive. Like, I can't afford that, you know. And so, sure enough, we had uh, like a third issue that came out. And um, and somebody was upset about a mistake that we had made. And um, so, the whole office was upset and trying to figure out like what, what, what to do about this. And sure enough, the craziest thing happened is David Stein walked into my Pflugerville office now he didn't, I, he'd never been to my office before, but that day he walks in and uh, he's like, Hey man, what's going on? And so I told him and he's like, Hey, did you buy that insurance? And I said, <laughs> I said, no. And he's like, well, how would you feel right now if you bought that insurance? And, and I was like, I would be feeling a little bit better. Um, but he, and then of course, when he left, he also gave me the last piece of advice that said, you know, do ne never let your staff leave or feel like this on a Friday. And that was really great advice. And so, but yeah, so he mentored me along and luckily nothing ever happened with that company. <laughs> that was but, you know, he was, he's, he's that guy, like you're being to those, to, to those, uh, those men. And um, I think it's really important. I think sometimes our pride gets in the way of finding a mentor or fear of the like rejection. But listen, I, I'm telling you, like people that are farther along in their career, they generally speaking, want to help the next generation leader. And so if you're thinking about like you're, you're missing, you know, certain leadership traits or knowledge or wisdom, right? Business wisdom, uh, find a man or woman that, you know, is the next generation and ask them to help you. And, I, and usually if they're not already helping others, they're, they're going to definitely uh, try to help you. 
Yeah, I get people when they, I talk because I speak about my relationship with these two guys and people come up to me, especially, you know, this is the other thing is, you know, people talk about the millennials and the division, how they don't like or respect the older generations. That's the media totally full of BS because they will line up and say, how do I get a mentor? Or some of them will be like, how do I have you as a mentor? And I'm like, nope, I'm closed. I have two. I, I call them my fake sons and I've made a, a promise that I will take on no more fake children. But uh, but the fact is, is that, uh, you know, that that is true that, you know, the these people who are farther along, they're willing to help you. And it's funny because, you know, the millennial, the younger generation is hungry to find that guidance. So it's funny when they talk about that division between the millennials and the baby boomers or Gen X. The, the millennials are looking for that guidance because they're they're lining up after my speeches talking about this topic of mentorship. Uh, right. And that leads me to one more question. And that is about sort of peer to peer mentorship, because I find one of the most successful things is if you can have a mastermind group, whether it's something you start yourself or it's EO or YPO or Vistage. Uh, have you found that to be useful? Yeah, I'm in a group called the Tugboat uh, Institute, the Tugboat Group. They're, um, uh, it's sort of like uh, YO. Um, we're a group of business owners that it's a national company, so maybe 130 or 140 or so members, and we're evergreen. So the idea, you know, a lot of times business schools will teach you, you know, that the way to success is to build this business, you know, raise a bunch of venture money and then go IPO. Well, this group is about being an evergreen company. And so growing pragmatically, having paced growth and uh, being good, you know, people first organization, several uh, you know, like-minded characteristics. And so, you know, Tom, a couple of Austin company, Amy Simmons from Amy's Ice Creams and Bobby Jenkins from ABC Pest and Lawn, uh, Connie Reed from Consuela Handbags. There's some Austin. So we got like five or six Austin-based businesses, but it's a na- 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 nationwide company. And we meet uh, once or twice a year that we go to Sun Valley, Idaho in uh, June. And then, um, and then we go to uh, like a different place uh, to learn about, how these great uh, evergreen companies work in the fall, and we get together. They like they do like kind of like TEDx type talks where these people stand up and they tell you these the most incredible stories about their business and what they're doing. And so, um, yeah, I built some great uh, relationships there. And um, and you know, having people that have shared values about your growth as a company uh, is so helpful um, because you know there's a lot of different ideas about how to grow a company. And so if you can find people that kind of share your values and they want to be who you want to be, uh, you can learn a lot from them. Yeah. I'm a real big fan of peer to peer mentorship. I think that, that, you know, you don't always have to look generationally. You can, you can look peer to peer. And then finally, I also believe in sort of reverse mentoring. I learn as much from Nick and Jake, these two guys who I mentor, I learn as much from them as they learn from me. They just don't know it. Uh, So you can also learn from people who are younger than you. So I think surrounding yourself with good people, it's like the old saying that Jim Rohn had, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Make sure they're all hardworking, good quality people, and you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I totally agree. So one of the last questions I ask everybody who comes on the show is, who do you admire out there in the world of the entrepreneur sphere, if you will? Who is it that you say, wow, she or he, God, they're doing the cool stuff. Man, there's I'm like you. I get to run into so many, um, so many people. You know, I, I think I think for me, I I, I think like Amy Simmons. Um, you know, Amy Simmons owns Amy's Ice Cream, but she she also has committed herself to uh, teaching people. Like they basically tell their workers, like, what's your goal? Or who do you want to be when you grow up? And 
And, um, and if you want to be a store manager at Avis ice cream, they say that, no, that's not good enough. Like, so they teach you fine, you know, open book management. They teach you financial management. They teach you how the store works and operates so that the idea is, is that they can kind of teach the next generation of leaders in business, not like their business, other business. And they have a whole school that she set up. Um, you, you know, how she, how involved she is in the community and what she does for the, for the city of Austin. She kind of makes Austin cool. Um, and um, yeah, I just really admire her and uh, her heart or doing the right thing for her people and for her business. Uh, she's very inspiring. And, um, you know, I definitely put her at the top of the list. No, very, and a great local story. And if, if any of you ever come to visit Austin and, and you all should don't move here, there's enough people, but uh, if you come and visit, you got to find yourselves to an Amy's ice cream shop because it is kind of the favorite local ice cream. So John, the last question I ask everybody, and this kind of feeds off of what you just said about Amy I love to ask entrepreneurs what they do to give back to the greater good because I think all of us, I mean, it's more than about making money. We, we want to leave a mark behind. So, so what do you do to serve others? Well, I mean, first of all, like I, I, we're very involved with our church. Like we, we, we are Christ followers and we serve that church body in a lot of ways. We're, we're involved with the student ministry there and uh, we love we love that, but corporately as a company, we we have these five stones that we call them our values, and one of them is faith, the faith stone. And the idea is that we're here to accomplish something great. And the newspapers uh, in a community have a unique place in a community, um, just because of our 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 reach and the influence that we have. So we inspire our um, teams or encourage them. We're mostly involved with basic needs. So like we ask them to, to support food pantries and clothing pantries. So we, we want to ins- inspire and, um, and motivate and, um, and encourage our teams to do that. And when you multiply it over the 46 or so communities that we have every month, we're doing something. Uh, to help the community. So I'm really proud of the, the influence that we've been able to put forth uh, and, and prioritize as our number one value in the company uh, to serve others. Um, that I'm really proud that we've been able to do that and build that kind of culture. No, I, th- I think that's awesome. That's, and, and I know because I live in the community, I know you guys are involved with things and I think that's fantastic. So John, thank you so much. It only took me four years. You've been at the top of the list of somebody I've wanted to interview, except you've been busy like, you know, doubling and quadrupling the size of your business. So, and moving out of state, you know, with a new, a new location. So it's a little hard to pin you down. I, I think I asked your assistant when we could go to lunch. And I think she told me uh, you and I could go to lunch in 2021. So uh, I know that you're quite busy, but thank you for taking the time to be a guest and share your knowledge and your passion with everybody who listens to cool things entrepreneurs do. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for what you do to help make entrepreneurship fun and also for us to create a learning environment with each other. I appreciate you too. Well, I appreciate you and I appreciate everyone who listens to the show. You know that I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. We are quickly approaching 400 episodes. I can't even believe it. It seems like yesterday I was just learning how to hit record on my uh, recorder here. And yet uh, now we've interviewed well over 300 entrepreneurs. We've done, you know, 30 or 40 individual episodes and uh, with just me talking. So we're, we're quickly, you know, 
continuing to grow. We're looking for more and more people who have bigger and bigger companies. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you want more information about me, you can find everything you would ever want at Tom Singer. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Uh, if you want to join the group coaching program, it's the Potential Mastermind Group. You just go to PotentialMastermind.com. And if you really like this show, jump over to iTunes and leave a review. It makes my whole day better when there's a new review uh, on iTunes. And then go tell your friends. Uh, the only way people find a new podcast nowadays is if somebody says, hey, you got to check out this show. So before you go to bed at night, if you like this show, tell somebody. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as John Garrett. I know you're thinking, how is that possible? But it happens. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.